Hello and welcome to Financial Education for the Nation. My name is Warren Shu, and today, property or share investment and why it pays to back a global PLC. This episode has been sponsored by IDELO, the price comparison website. So when I started as a financial planner back in 1995, one of the biggest um, obstacles I'd say I had to investing was that clients always said, ah, bricks and mortar is my investment. That's where I'm going to put my retirement fund. My pension is going to be my buy-to-let or my house or my buy-to-let portfolio, whatever it might be. They would back bricks and mortar rather than equity. And um, that went away somewhat in the 2008 global financial crisis. Um, Primarily, I think, because mortgages become more difficult to arrange, but also I think that um, investors sort of realized that property wasn't the um, perfect investment that they sort of always made out it to be. The history behind property investing was back in the mid-90s, interest rates were high. So I took my mortgage, my first mortgage out in 95, and I think I was paying around about 6% on my mortgage then. And then over consecutive months and years, all the way through to the global financial crisis and recently interest rates came down now property is a fixed income investment and what that simply means is it's an asset class that pays a yield an income which is called rent and when interest rates come down fixed income investments go up so when interest rates come down bonds go up in value they work inversely the inverse relationship to the uh, movement of interest rates and that's the same with property when interest rates come down property comes up Let's look at it logically. Why does that happen? It happens because it's cheaper to borrow money. So that's why house prices in general came down. Also the flow of money, which caused the global financial crisis, the relaxed lending nature. Um, you could take out a 125% mortgage or 130% mortgage, I think, uh, with Northern Rock at one point and look where it got them. Um, so with all those things that were going on, house prices went up in value, interest rates went down. We got to the global financial crisis and they have pretty much stabilized they've moved obviously with inflation but they've not skyrocketed but um, i've got a good friend called nathan who watches those so big shout out to nathan say hello buddy um and he called me the other day and he said look why do you always buy equities don't you ever consider property and i said no let me explain why so i thought i would share a show is also nathan's idea why don't you explain this to people because this is good stuff I'll share with an example. So I then had a conversation with a client a few days later, um, and he was very proud, you can read boasting, of his investment in a property he made. Um, so he bought this property back in 2000 for £80,250, and today it was valued at around about £210,000. That's a gain of £130,000, good as damn it. That's pretty impressive. That's 4.7% return a year. How does that compare to the global stock market? So if you'd invested that £80,000 in 2000, not in Tesla or Microsoft or Amazon or a lot of the other wonderful companies out there who are doing tremendous jobs, Rightmove did a great run in the UK, um, but you just bought a boring global index fund. I think the first thing to bear in mind is when you buy an index fund. Don't think of it as buying a fund. Think of it as buying a share, a part ownership of some of the world's greatest companies. So you're going to have companies in there like um, Apple, Microsoft, Johnson & Johnson, ExxonMobil, 
Um, you know, all of the big brand names, Walmart. You can have some fantastic AstraZeneca. You know, all these great companies, and you own, you become an owner. You own a part of that company. He would have had over three hundred and thirteen thousand pounds. Now, that's an additional one hundred thousand pounds compared to the rental property. And the beauty for me is he would have had no insurances, no estate agents, no, um, nothing wrong with estate agents, by the way, no letting agreements, no paperwork like that. He would have had no legal fees. He would have had no tenants. He would have just had a boring global index fund, um, just sat there doing its thing, ticking away while he then went and had fun. And you've got to ask yourself the question here, what would you prefer? Would you prefer a rental, two up, two down, for example, in your hometown, you can walk past and see, or would you prefer a slice of some of these greatest companies in the world? Um, there is a great world out there that we often only see when we're traveling on holiday, but there are companies and countries that are booming and making some fantastic progress, and we can tap in, into that just by, um, buying into these investments okay so i know what's going through your mind hang on warren hang on hang on you sound all good now you normally talk sense however you forgot about the rental income you know this guy has also got an addition to that growth he's got rent coming in every month surely that makes a big difference which i say yes he does um the yield of a typical buy to let property is three and a half percent so three and a half percent is pretty much what the client's getting as well. So yes, he would have got three and a half percent. For us, a family unit, fairly low risk. I do appreciate some of you might be interested in HMOs and stuff, but trust me, you're then taking on a job. That is a job that you've got. And is it gonna earn more money? Yeah, of course it is, because you're working it. It makes sense, doesn't it? But if you can earn money, is it gonna earn you more money there or in what you're doing? So should you invest and carry on doing what you're circle of expertise or competencies rather than getting involved with something else you know it, let's look at logic here if you work more hours you should earn more money so if you're working at it it no longer becomes an investment you know you're, you've got a job you should be paid for that so whatever your hourly rate is let's see if it still makes you a, a good profit okay so he's got his rental income three and a half percent a year how does that sort of compare well one thing i say to people is like it's 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 after He's deducted his letting fees, his buildings insurance, his tax. Generally, what's left, okay, is enough to keep the roof up. Because bear in mind, these guys had it for 20, 21 years this year. New bathroom, new kitchen, you know, plumbing problems, electrical problems, general upkeep of the property. Um, it costs money. And heaven forbid he needs something structural, okay, or he needs a new roof then that's going to cost serious money. But genuinely speaking, after you've taken 3.5%, you've taken off 40% tax for most people, um, and you've got your building insurance deducted, letting fees and stuff like that, it's enough there to keep the property in good repair so you're able to sell it at a fair price and also keep good tenants in there. And we've not even looked at tenant, uh, void periods either. So, um, you know, 20-odd years, 26 years this year I've been doing it. Virtually every single property that I look at when you look at it black and white and not look at it emotionally, that's the kind of figures that you look at. So look at the the rental income is covering the overheads and the running costs of the property. And my grandma used to say to me, so Warren, it's not what you make that counts, it's what you keep. 
And you'd be really wise to listen to that. It's not what you make, it's what you keep. So even when you're earning, it's not how much you earn, it's how much that money you keep. You could earn £250,000 a year, but if you blow £251,000 a year, you're in a far worse position than the guy earning 10 and keeping two. Okay, so it's what you keep that counts, not what you make. And the other thing with rental properties is, um, I'm not going to go into the whole, you know, inheritance tax and how you know, they own your estate for inheritance tax. So that's a downside. They're illiquid. You can't just realize it to cash in 24 hours notice, you know, three or four days, have cash in your bank. It's going to take six weeks or so, um, even if you've got a buyer chomping at the bit to buy it. Um, there's also an additional 8% success tax on rental properties so when you sell a buy to let you pay capital gains tax at either 18 if you're a basic or 28 if you're a higher rate or additional rate taxpayer whereas if you sold an investment generally speaking you'll pay 10 or 20. that makes it even less attractive so that reduces his yield from the 4.7 or so i said it was down because he's not going to keep all of that money He's going to have to pay tax on it. And with an £80,000 investment, it is very easy. I was going to say fairly easy, but I'll go as far as say it's very easy to manage that within your ISA allowance and your capital gains tax allowance. So just heading up a general account on an ISA. So you've got your £20,000 in there. If you did it now, you'd put £20,000 in there. You've got £60,000 in here. We tick over into April, we move another £20,000 over. So we've got £40,000 into £40,000 already. And running a £40,000 portfolio within capital gains tax rates is very, very easy. 12300 a year capital gains tax allowance. Um, you'd need to make some serious gains on that money to exceed that every single year. It's very efficient. It's very flexible. It's very tax efficient. And you're back in some of the best companies in the world. Um, so this isn't a knock on buy-to-lets. Yeah, if you have a buy-to-let, I have an additional property. I have one other property. Um, if you have a buy-to-let portfolio of that, I'm not here to knock it. I'm just saying... Ask yourself a question. Do you want to add to that portfolio or do you want to diversify into some of the world's greatest companies? And in a future show, I'll go into a little more detail about actually physically how to buy um, these things because that was another question that Nathan had to me about, you know, actually getting involved and in actually physically buying them. How does it work? How do I get involved and how do I do it? So if you've got any questions, then feel free to give me a shout. I'd love to um, cover them on a future episode. But, you know, my take on it, Property is great if you can afford to buy your own home, buy it. It's a place where you raise your family and you create memories. And I think there's no um, alternative for that. I think that's fantastic. Also, when we retire, we can downsize and raise equity tax-free, which is a great thing. Um, and I encourage people to buy the biggest house that they can comfortably afford so that they've got more equity in there when their retirement years and they can sell it and downside. It's also a form of forced savings by paying your mortgage down and make sure you are on repayment. That's essential. Paying your mortgage down every month is a great way to um, build equity and build in your increase in your net worth. Okay, so five things to know about uh, investing in general. If you'd invested £75 a week in the world stock market back in global PLC through your pension back in 1987, you'd be sat on a cool £1 million today. That's not bad, is it? Okay. So back in 1987, £75 a week in the world stock market, you'd be selling a cool £1 million today. That's pretty cool. I like that. So where are you going to be in how many years? That I can't even work it out off the top of my head. 24 odd years time. Where are you going to be 
and are you going to start investing today so you've got a cool one million pounds and that's not even indexing the premium so it's pretty impressive since 87 the uk house price index has risen 665 percent that's pretty damn impressive but the world stock market is up a whopping 1540 percent so 665 versus 1540 now if you look at this okay that growth was in a period when interest rates were coming was coming down the next 20 years interest rates have to stay still or go up they can't really go any lower I, I, i'm normally very flexible but in that case they're going to stay still or go up because they're at virtually zero that's going to have a restraint on property price appreciation so i'm not saying they're going to crash okay but it's certainly not going to allow them to rocket up unless there are more incentives like the um, stamp duty holiday whereas if you look at global equities you can say well they're overvalued they they're they are fairly valued. They're, they're valued at the price that people are pay, willing to pay from. There are some companies that are unrealistically valued and some companies that are undervalued. And the average, based on the index, is fairly valued. And if you look at research, okay, and what's going on, there is so much out there. You know, with this new technology to develop the um, coronavirus vaccine will now be able to be rolled out, hopefully quickly, for other conditions, diseases, etc. You've got quantum computing and the powers of that's going to bring you've got artificial and augmented reality and what's going to go on there you've got the green evolution you know taking us off of carbon and onto renewables and you've got the autonomous driverless uh, driverless car and where that goes in relation to cars bikes home deliveries for amazon for pizza and flying you know the future is tremendous and i think that when you back the best minds these people feed off each other and create more for each other jump on the bandwagon guys number three property is a fixed income investment which basically means it moves inversely proportion to the uh, interest rates so when interest rates go up property prices generally come down or at least stabilize i'm being generous here um, but when interest rates come down property prices go up and that's exactly what we've seen uh, you pay an additional eight percent capital gains tax on second properties when you sell them and then you can buy into a world equity fund in tax-free accounts either in your isa and or your pet um i said pet there i might say pension and or your pension so you can get into any of these pretty much tax-free and it's nice and easy main body of the news other things in the headlines help to buy ISAs the HMRC released a report to say that since launch 359,250 property transactions are completed the average bonus was £1,028 the average property bought so the average property price bought using a help to buy ISA was 1,700 sorry 174,281 compared to the average first time buyer of 204 so that was really interesting to me so fantastic they've been used okay the average bonus was smaller than i was expecting but i guess you've got to multiply it out by three hundred fifty-nine thousand properties um and the average price was less than if you didn't use a help to buy okay so that's just people i guess who've got a bit of money um decided to buy i don't know another reason why it would be higher um but if you are have you if you've not bought your first home yet and if you are 18 years or older 
and you're below 40, so between 80 and, 18 and 40, should I say, um, you can use a junior ISA, which is the successor to the help to buy ISA. A junior ISA, you can put £4,000 in, get a 25% bonus, so £5,000 can be invested. And as long as you hold it for a year, that can be used to buy your first home as a deposit. Um, and if you're buying as a couple, you can each have one, and it's each tax year. So you've got one up until the end of the tax year, 2021, and then 2021-22, you can do another one. But they do need to be held for a year to retain that bonus. Talk about tax years, the end of the tax year is the 5th of April, the new tax year is the 6th of April, but really this year we should be thinking of it as being the 1st of April, and the reason for that is because the 1st of April is Good Friday, then you've got um, the weekend being 2nd and 3rd, um, and then the 5th is Easter Monday, so actually in your mind, let, I always say to my clients, end of March, let's focus on the end of March as being the tax year end. A couple of readers' questions. Um, first question was, I've been, I've had an employee share plan with my work uh, since I joined them. They've always matched my contributions. I'm about to retire. Should I keep the shares? Now, there was a bit more information given to me um, than just that headline question. And the shares constitu uh, constituted a fairly large portion of this individual's estate. So what I said to them is, hey, look, You've done tremendously well. They matched your shares. You did everything right. You bought in, you put the most in you can. They matched it, fantastic. Now you need to divest. You need to start selling those shares tax efficiently. So not all at once, make sure we do it tax efficiently because it's a great company they were employed by. So do it tax efficiently, start coming out of the individual shares and then redirecting it into Global PLC, investing globally. So you're spreading your investments across I talk about Global PLC as being a fund, which it is. Um, it's about 1,600 constituents to it. We actually put them into one of our portfolios, which was around about 9,500 constituents, so far more diversified. Uh, second question was, I run a small company. Can I pay my non-tax paying wife a salary? Okay, so there's two things here. First thing is the salary. You can pay anyone a salary for work done. So as long as your wife does work for your company, whatever form that might be, yes, you can. So do a contract of employment, so just in case you've ever asked, run it past your accountant if you've got one. But yes, just A4 sheets of paper, contract, this is what your terms and conditions are, this is what we're gonna do, this is what I expect of you, um, and make sure your wife does do that work. Don't start paying your wife if she doesn't do any work. So um, yes, you certainly can. But the second thing to remember is the marriage allowance. Okay, so if you're a basic rate taxpayer and your wife is a non-taxpayer, your wife can transfer 10% of her personal allowance or £1,250 across to you. That means you earn an additional £1,250 a year tax-free. And you can go back, I think, four years. I think you can go back four years. But if you go to the website, there's forms on there, warrantshoot.com. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And bear in mind, also in addition to the salary, she's entitled to other benefits as well. So sick pay, holiday pay, um, pension contributions, all tax deductible. Okay, then we come to the section of the show called the smartest spender. Spending money is not bad, okay? Spending other people's money is. And what I try and do is get you to get the biggest bang for your buck from your money. This section show is sponsored by Idealo, the price comparison website. I say it every week, um, I do really like Idealo. They're a genuine company and I've been using them far before they started sponsoring the show. Uh, they approached me and we've just got a, you know, a good relationship and we said, yeah, why not, let's do it. Um, partly because I also wanna make sure I tell enough people about this because if you're getting your money to stretch further, you're gonna have more money to invest and that's really the outcome. 
So they give me some things that have dipped in price this week. Two big things that hit the headlines. Headphones. My son loves his headphones. Oh, he's got them in right now. And Ride On Toys, uh, which I used to absolutely love. The thing that got my attention, so headphones down 13%. Ride On Toys is down 12 But Slow Cookers, Slow Cookers is down 11%. You might giggle and say, why did you say that? Why did it get your attention? I think they're great. Whack in a slow cooking meal before you go to work, come back in the evening, but it's all done. So um, the team in the office start talking about all the different recipes that they do. And Nikki, my wife, is really interested in that. And I think it's great. I absolutely love our slow cooker. Probably second to my soup maker. So uh, food is the theme in our house, definitely. Um, this is a good time of year to think about buying bike helmets because the first lockdown, Idealo saw bike helmets boom, sorry, bike sales boom by 172%. Um, and they think this is going to be another boom. You've got March is the best month to buy a bike helmet um, because it's 11% cheaper than the most expensive month, which is October. So uh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm going out for a bike ride, I hope, after this podcast. So it's a nice day today. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of my life and making it fun. Uh, if you have any questions, please just drop me a line, send me an email, send me a social media message. Uh, please like and share the show. Uh, the more people that get hold of this, the better and allow me to impact more people and help people to have a better life. And I see my outcome really just to make sure that people manage their money a little bit better. So my name's Warren Shu. This has been Financial Education Foundation. Until next time, take care.